I just released an episode of Love and Abuse on the six reasons you may feel guilty about leaving the relationship. If that's what you're dealing with right now, head over to loveandabuse.com and look for that episode. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in this show is my personal opinion and is meant for information on educational purposes only. Of course, always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. And speaking of mental health, I have someone's email right in front of me that talks about their own mental health and wanting to make sure that uh, they are following the right path and also wanting to make sure that they aren't emotionally abusive. I have another show called Love and Abuse at loveandabuse.com where I talk about emotional abuse, but his email doesn't necessarily go into the depth of that. It's actually more about anger and depression and anxiety. And I decided to talk about that over here because a lot of people deal with that. A lot of people deal with um, a combination of these things or one or more of these components of what make up our mental health. Not that that's the only things that make up our mental health, but they're an important part of mental health. And um, just like happiness and joy and elation and bliss, those are all important parts of our mental health as well. But what I like to look at as healthy mental and emotional health is something Uh, you've probably heard this before, but I don't hear it talked about too much, is that all of it is good. Meaning all of your emotions, all of your feelings, all the shame and embarrassment and guilt and humiliation and joy and bliss and pain and suffering. And it sounds like that all wouldn't be good, but it is all good if properly expressed, if properly processed, if released so it doesn't build pressure inside the body like emotional energy that isn't being released so it builds up pressure and uh, unless you flip the pressure valve it doesn't get released and it stays in there and it comes out in sometimes destructive ways sometimes those destructive ways are self-destructive Actually, a lot of the times they're self-destructive, but sometimes they're also externally destructive toward others. They're almost always self-destructive if you're not processing and releasing them because they build up and they continue to eat away at you from the inside out. And as unpleasant as that is to visualize, it is good to remember. I, I like to use that as a visual sometimes because if something's inside of me that it's eating away at me than visualizing it eating away at me. Uh, first of all, it makes me feel things that I don't like. Um, I can actually feel, usually in my stomach, that 
feeling of being eaten away at, and I used to feel that a lot when I would uh, hold on to anger and never get angry. I was taught that it was not good to get angry. I think my mom taught me that because as uh, a people pleaser herself, living with a very volatile person, my alcoholic stepfather, for a long time, she learned not to incite his bad behavior. And by making sure she never got angry so that he wouldn't get angry, it kept us, the family, more at peace. But it also created a lot of dysfunctions in me and other members of my family so that we became a little too nice. We became people pleasers. We didn't have any boundaries. And we went through life holding back or repressing our emotions, at least the negative ones. I repressed so many emotions in my life because I didn't want to make waves. I didn't want conflict. I didn't want confrontation. And by doing that, it ate away at me from the inside out. Physically, I mean, this is quite literally. After my 30s, I started feeling this uh, burning hole in my stomach. And it turned out that it was a burning hole in my stomach. It was an ulcer and other things going on down there that I don't even remember. It was a lot of acid. And the symptoms were taken care of because I was taking antacids and some stronger stuff as well, uh, prescribed by a doctor. And that helped with the symptoms, but the repressed anger was still in there. And I know it was anger because I've told this story on the podcast before. There was a moment in time, it was right when I met the woman that I married and eventually divorced. I was quite depressed and I was trying to heal. I was trying to get past that. One of the reasons for my depression was because I didn't know how to handle my emotions and after my last breakup, I felt sad, I felt lonely, I felt um, all these things. I felt angry, I felt abandoned, and all of those emotions I didn't know how to handle and I didn't want to address. I just held them in. I never shared them with anybody because I isolated myself from people and I didn't want to, quote, bother them with my emotional state. So I held all that stuff in and on top of all that, I had a lot of anger toward my stepfather. Mind you, I had no idea that anger was inside of me. And I think this is a very important point. If you're dealing with anxiety, depression, uh, anything that's eating away at you from the inside out, any emotional triggers that you're carrying, it's not always, but often there's either a lot of anger or a lot of sadness or some sort of big negative emotional stuff that you haven't been addressing in your life today. For me, it turned out to be anger. And I found this out one night when, like I said, I the person that was going to be my wife, she said, you know, we've been dating for a couple months and I think it's going great. However, you're really depressed and I'm kind of uh, an energetic person and being around a depressed person isn't really something that energizes me and keeps me happy. And I mean, I'm putting all these words in her mouth. This is nothing like what she said, but basically she said, I can't be around you. I think you're great, but you need to take care of something. There's something going on in your life and you need to fix it. And maybe when you fix that, we can connect again. And so that was really surprising to me. And I didn't realize that was going to happen. This was uh, something that I didn't want to happen. So that 
along with the depression um, that was hitting its peak because of the last breakup and a lot of repressed negativity that I held from childhood toward my stepfather especially, it all came to a head. It was like the perfect storm of everything that could happen at once. And I don't know where it came from. It just all happened. It all aligned. And I just burst into tears. I fell to my knees and I think I might have screamed at the top of my lungs saying, I hate my stepfather. I hate him so much. And and I was just, I was crying and I was embarrassed because I'm crying in front of this woman that I just met just a couple months ago and we've been getting along great. But here I am exposing myself. I was super vulnerable and being in that vulnerable space and having all this negativity come out of me in that moment was again another shock to my system I thought what the where is this coming from what is this about hate I said I hate my stepfather I've never said that in my life I've never said I hate him I've never felt like I hated him I've never had that thought I was brought up to believe that hating someone was a bad thing to do. I I was brought up to think that hating was immoral. So I didn't want to be immoral. I didn't want to be that person that people look at and say, oh, he carries hate around in his heart. He is a hateful person. So I avoided that. And boy, when you do that, when you avoid something that you actually feel and you don't address it, you don't express it, and you choose to repress it, what ends up happening is you become depressed, you become anxious, you carry around emotional triggers, and you just don't experience life in a happy way, or at least as happy as you could be. Because life can be so much more fulfilling if you choose to address and express what's going on inside of you instead of suppress and repress. That's my formula for depression, is that you suppress a thought that you have, and then you repress the emotion that's attached to that thought, and that turns into depression. Incrementally, one little step at a time, every time you do that, it adds to a pool of depression inside of you. So if you've ever felt depressed for a long time, I'm willing to bet, unless it's a chemical imbalance or hormonal or whatever, I'm willing to bet that at one point, even at a very young age, maybe even before you remember, you started suppressing your thoughts, meaning you're not expressing yourself, and repressing the emotions attached to those thoughts, meaning you feel an emotion, but you stuff it back down. And because of that, you added to this whatever you want to call it, this dark void inside of you. You kept adding to it. And all those suppressed thoughts and repressed emotions kept filling up that dark void until it filled you up. So if you have been dealing with depression for a long time, if it's not hormonal or chemical, and those are probably the same thing, but if it's not one of those things, I'm willing to bet it's because of the incremental process of the suppression and repression process I just talked about. And I say that not being a doctor. I'm not telling you that this is absolute truth. I'm just telling you that this is what I have learned 
at least about myself and others. And you can choose to take that with you and believe it and work with it or not. Totally up to you. I don't want to plant anything in your head. I don't want to take anything away that any doctor or therapist has ever told you about that. I'm just giving you another angle, another way to perceive this just in case you haven't addressed it. And that night when I lost it, I fell on my knees and I was crying and screaming how much I hated my stepfather. I went through my process and my future wife at that time was very patient and she waited and she saw this happening and she was much more emotionally intelligent than I was at that time. And she knew what was happening. She knew there was a release going on and she just waited for me. And I think she did something else pretty great back then, which was let me have my moment. She didn't come up to me and say, oh, you poor thing. Let me rub your back. Let me uh, hold you. Let me hug you. She didn't do any of that. She let me have that moment. You need to do this sometimes. You need to have your moment or let somebody else have their moment so that they can release this. It might be in there. It might be repressed. And if somebody's having that moment, that is amazing. That is a fantastic thing. Because if that comes out, that lightens the load a little bit or a lot. It lightens the emotional strain and stress that can be there for a long time. When you see somebody releasing like that, it's a good thing to let them be. I'm not saying you can't ever touch them or hug them, but give it some time. Give it a little bit of time. Give them the time they need to express and release and scream and cry, whatever they need to do. If it's coming out, awesome. That's what I want you to say. Oh my God, this is awesome. This is happening. I mean, say that to yourself, not to them. This is great. Whatever's happening inside you and it's coming out now, this is great. Don't stop them. I mean, you know, unless they're in danger or they're presenting a danger to someone else, but don't stop them. Let them release. Let it go. Let them have that moment. Give them that moment. Because what happens, at least what happened for me and what happens for a lot of people, is that pressure that was inside, it gets released sometimes for the very first time. I never knew I had hate in me. I never knew I had anger in me. And I was so angry with my stepfather for the longest time because I was so scared around him all the time and how he treated my siblings and my mom and I just didn't realize that I had all these emotions inside of me because I thought my dysfunctional and toxic upbringing was normal. I never called it dysfunctional or toxic when I was younger because I thought it was normal. I thought this was normal. This is my life. This is how it works. But there was a part of me that didn't like it, that didn't feel right, that was afraid. Being afraid, I didn't have very good coping mechanisms, didn't know how to deal with the emotions that were coming up. So what do you do when you don't know how to deal with them? A lot of people repress them. They swallow them. They don't know what to do with them. So it goes into that dark void, that depression pool maybe, or anxiety pool. Or even a paranoid pool where you're always just worried or paranoid all the time. There's all kinds of things that can stem from that. But when you are brought up in a dysfunctional or toxic environment and you don't develop good coping mechanisms and you don't talk to anybody about what you're holding in, 
uh, mainly because you don't know what you're holding in, that happens a lot, or because you just simply don't want to talk about it, then it stays in there, typically. It doesn't usually release unless you're doing a lot of work on yourself. If you're doing a lot of work on yourself, then it can be released. If you're not, where does it go? If you were like me, it stayed in there because I don't want to talk to anybody about my problems. I felt like bothering them with my problems was a bad idea because who wants to be around a lonely, needy, depressed guy? That was my thought. wasn't exactly those thoughts, but that's how I felt back then. And I also felt embarrassed. Like, I don't want to tell anyone about my problems. That makes me feel weak. I felt weak being vulnerable like that. And it's just so funny because I'm talking about this right now in a totally different space. I can tell you everything about my life and I feel really good inside of me because I am able to express this so easily now. But it was a process. And the process started with um, an emotional explosion. (laughs) That's the best thing I could think of to call it. This emotional explosion happened and I let myself be angry. I let myself hate. And I started saying, if you have dealt with anxiety or depression or tons of worry or emotional triggers, if you had dealt with any of that, you may have done something similar to me. You may have suppressed the thoughts and repressed the emotions and never dealt with them again. And you will walk around in a lowered emotional state. You will feel this. You will have emotional triggers. You will feel like you can't uh, be as happy as you want to be. And being that way, you can survive, you can get through things, but you may find that certain areas of your life aren't working out. For me, it was always relationships. I always got burnt out in my jobs like every four years. Um, What else? I couldn't really be myself in front of my friends. I would burn out my friendships too because all these people-pleasing tendencies came out and I didn't have very good boundaries and I wasn't being honest. I was avoiding confrontation. I wasn't getting anything done in my life. I would start to do something, but because I didn't have boundaries, if somebody rubbed me the wrong way, I just distanced myself from them instead of going up to them and saying, hey, what you just did was disrespectful. Could you please not do that again? I make it sound easy, but it's always hard. Even now, I I have good boundaries, and even now it's hard to approach someone and say, hey, what you just did was disrespectful, or it felt disrespectful to me. Could you please not do that again? I have no problem doing that, but I still have fears doing that. And I'm telling you this because it's okay. (laughs) At least I believe it's okay to have some fears about honoring yourself and expressing stuff. It's okay to have negativity inside of you and be afraid to express it to people, especially if you've never done it before. It's perfectly normal to feel some sort of fear or trepidation or embarrassment or shame or guilt or humiliation. It's normal to feel those things, but when you are able to express them and release some of the pressure inside of you, your life starts to get lighter. You start to feel better you start to change. You start to release some old emotional triggers. And maybe even your depression and your anxiety and your worry starts to dissipate as well. And I'm not saying it's a magic pill, but it's certainly a good start. The day I started crying and saying how much I hated my stepfather, 
was the day I started healing from my depression. I mean, literally, that was the day. Because that was the first time I not only allowed myself to feel hate and anger, but it was also another day of first where I was crying in front of somebody and showing them my vulnerability, knowing that I could be judged, knowing that they could leave me and never come back. It was me being the most vulnerable me I've ever been. And it was the first day of my first release because other releases happened not as explosive, but they happened after that as I allowed myself to continue feeling what came up inside of me. I think that is so important. If you are not allowing yourself to feel what comes up inside of you, whether it's because of some religious restriction or you think it's immoral or you think it's wrong. uh, I mean, if you have thoughts like, well, I shouldn't hate that person. They did all kinds of good things for me. I mean, think about what you're saying there. You have maybe have some hate or anger towards someone, but then you invalidate yourself and you stop yourself from feeling what you're really feeling and you say something that squashes a release, something like, I shouldn't say that about that person. They've been so kind to me. Or they're so nice. Or they don't deserve that. It doesn't matter if somebody deserves it or if they're kind. If you have feelings about them, your feelings are real and they're valid and they're worth processing and expressing and releasing. That doesn't mean I'm telling you to express those feelings to them. Although, if that's what you want to do, you can. If that's what helps you achieve closure, why not? I never got a chance to really talk to my stepfather and say, Hey, I hate you so much and I just want to let you know. But at the same time, I didn't need to. I had my explosion and it all came out. And the benefit of that was the day I finally admitted how angry I was and how much I hated him was the very same day I finally got a chance to love him for the first time in an entirely different way. Because I really thought I loved him before. Because he's so kind and sweet and generous when he wasn't drinking. When he was drinking, he was violent and dangerous, and I didn't want to be around him. But when he wasn't, he was such a sweet guy. So the night I had that emotional explosion, and I had all this anger and hate come out, it cleared the path to being able to love from a more unconditional place. And I say that now differently than I felt then. And what I mean is... I learned to love him from a different place and I learned to love him from afar and I learned to love him in a different way so that I was no longer attached to him. I was no longer dependent on him in any way, looking for any type of role modeling or him being a parental figure in my life or even all the good feelings I used to have about when he was an okay person. Because when I was finally able to feel the hate and the anger for the first time, the hate and anger disappeared. And when you're not carrying around hate and anger towards someone, you have either an indifference or you have a love. And that changes your relationship. Now, that doesn't mean I wanted a relationship with him. It just means it changed my relationship to him. It meant that I no longer had to think about him anymore. I could love him from afar. I didn't have to talk to him anymore. 
I could care about his well-being or not. I did become indifferent, and at the same time, I do remember his kindness at times. But the important part is I was able to let go of the hate and the anger. And um, over the years, I found out some more stuff about him that I really don't like, and that really has turned me off from caring about him at all anymore. So it has made me at least more indifferent. But no more hate, no more anger, and there's still a part of me that I know is going to feel a loss when he dies. So the, the care and the love is still there. It's just different. I think it's based less on dysfunction now and more on any of the positive effects that he had on me in my life. And even my dysfunctions, I look at as a positive effect in my life because, I don't know, here I am sharing with you the stories of my life and what I've learned that I would not be able to share with you if I hadn't gone through it myself. So there's often a lot to be thankful for, for the toxic people that showed up in your life. But it's hard to be thankful for them until the lesson is learned and what you've been holding on to is released, if you've been holding on to anything. For me, I had to feel the hate and anger before I released it. And I think that's important for anyone that if you're carrying something around, especially about someone else, especially about your past, that you haven't addressed inside of you, that maybe you haven't admitted to inside of you, that maybe you don't think is there. If you don't think it's there, I'd like you to try it on. And what I mean by that is ask yourself, do I hate that person? Is there hate in me? If I say the words, I hate you, and say their name, I hate you, dad, whatever it is, does that feel congruent to me? Does that feel like it's the truth? Because if that's in there, don't put yourself down for thinking of it. Give yourself a pat on the back for allowing it to come up and be expressed inside yourself. That doesn't mean it's going to last. It doesn't mean it's even necessarily true now. It just might have been true at one time. And maybe back then the word hate wasn't the same as it is today. And it has become different inside your mind. And you treat anger differently. And there's all kinds of ways we treated emotions back then. But don't be afraid to let whatever it is that you might be holding on to come up inside you. Because that's what quite literally cured my depression. It was the very first start. I mean, it still took a couple years after I had that emotional explosion for me to drain that depression pool inside of me because every time I felt that depression kick in again, I would ask myself, what's this about? Why am I feeling this way? What am I holding on to? Who am I still upset with? Do I still have stuff that I haven't addressed yet? For me, it was just looking at every time I wanted to say no and instead said yes. Or every time I wanted to confront someone but didn't and I held on to the anger or the sadness or the frustration from that moment, that kept building up. And you may not be able to address all those moments. You may not remember half those moments. And so a good exercise for you is A, listen to my episodes on boundaries. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, look up the word boundary or boundaries, and you will find a few episodes that I talk about that. And B, start honoring your boundaries. Because that is how I got out of depression. 
is I started doing the opposite of what I used to do. What I used to do is I was the guy that would say, yes, of course I'll work on the weekend because I didn't want anybody to be mad at me. I wanted to be the nice guy. I wanted to be friends with everyone. I wanted everyone to be friends with me. I just wanted to be the peacemaker. So I never really honored my boundaries. And if I didn't want to work the weekend, I would work the weekend. (laughs) So that would be something I'd stuff away. And then I would blame them for following through and saying, great, you can work the weekend. Because I would think, well, why don't they know that I'm upset about this? Why don't they see that they're making me work weekend after weekend? Doesn't that bother them that it bothers me? Well, of course, if they don't know, they're not going to stop. They're not going to think that I'm frustrated because I said yes. They're not going to know this stuff. So that's where boundaries comes in. And you ask yourself, what are my boundaries? What will I allow and not allow in my life? What do I find acceptable or not acceptable? And when somebody asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, you can ask yourself, well, do I want to do this? (laughs) Do I really want to do this? If the answer is no, practice. Say, no, I don't think I want to do that. If that's scary to you, that's a good thing. (laughs) Because the things that are scary to do are usually connected in a very intimate way with the emotional triggers that you're carrying around. And they're often connected to your depression or anxiety if you're carrying that around as well. So I want you to be very aware of what you want to do, of what you want to say, and you don't allow yourself to do that. Because that's the stuff that builds up inside of you. And that is going to be what affects your life and causes you to sabotage your own path to success and get burnt out with relationships and jobs and lose friends and I mean, I'm painting an awful picture. A lot of people don't deal with this, but people like me that have not been confrontational and not wanting to make waves, if you've ever done that or if you feel like you're holding in some anger or frustration or sadness or shame or guilt or whatever it is inside of you that you're holding in that's eating away at you, there are two effective release mechanisms that I know of. One of them is having an emotional explosion, (laughs) just letting it all out, And the other is just to start honoring your boundaries because what that does is it self-validates you. And every time you validate yourself, you release some of the pressure inside of you. I mean, I don't know the science behind that, but I just know it works. I know that when you validate yourself and honor yourself in the moment and what you want for yourself, you actually follow through with those small validations and follow-throughs are what help release any type of pressure or depression or anxiety inside of you. I'm not saying these are cures. I'm not saying that this is what's going to change everything. But at the same time, it changed everything for me. And I want you to have the tools and the ability to make these changes just in case you're dealing with anything that I used to deal with. Hope this has been helpful. We'll be right back. I'm going to read you an email about somebody going through some stuff that I've been talking about, and we'll see where we can go with it. Be right back after this. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to read an email and we're going to go over some of the things that we've already talked about. 
but put it in context of this message. Let's see where we can go with this. This person says, Hi, Paul. I've recently started listening to your podcast, both The Overwhelmed Brain as well as Love and Abuse. I've been struggling with depression and anxiety for years, and I just recently started realizing it's affecting a lot more of my life than I was able to handle. I'm in a very foggy part of my depression, and I'm finding it difficult to navigate. The Overwhelmed Brain has helped me so much with clarity and taking a step back to realize I'm not crazy and this is normal. Another thing it helped me with is taking action. Nothing is going to change just by sitting around and moping about it. I needed to be honest with myself, and that has been a great first step. This led me to the Love and Abuse podcast. I listened to both on my way to work. I'm in a relationship. Uh, My partner and I have both struggled with depression and anxiety stemming from different places. Uh, My partner has an alcoholic father, and she takes the emotional heat from that. I have neglected my mental health, making it more apparent as I have gotten older. I'm terrified that I'm an emotional abuser, and I don't even know it. I find I get irritated easily when my partner and I get into disagreements. I feel myself getting so dark and blinded by what feels like anger, frustration, and this has made our relationship weaker. I know that we are both contributing to what I feel is a somewhat unhealthy relationship. When my mind thinks of an alternative solution like us not being together, my panic kicks in because our relationship is such a comfort and I do have a strong love for this woman even though we have hurt each other in the past. Right now, I'm only a few weeks into my healing process. I'm meditating, I'm medicating, antidepressants and anxiety, productive, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm working out more, I'm slowing down substance abuse, and um, trying essential oils and trying to be more communicative. Can you give me any insight to let me know if I am the emotional abuser and how to identify and stop this behavior if it is me? I am so in my own head. I'm having trouble identifying these things, and I just want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to get better and make this relationship healthy. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. And, uh, you know, that's a tough situation when you're feeling anxiety and depression and you have all these things going on in your life and your relationship suffering. I always come back to the self, and I think that's what you're doing too. You're taking care of yourself. But even more so, there's something that really stood out in your message, which was, I am almost reliant on her for my comfort and my peace and maybe even my happiness. And I want you to be really careful here because what happens when she's not around? When she goes to work, when she goes to the store, are you okay then? And, you know, that might be an unfair question. Maybe that's like making you sound highly dependent on her. But I don't know. I I want you to be aware of your feelings around that because and I just talked about this over at Love and Abuse the comment that we hear in movies sometimes is you complete me and when you need someone to complete you what you end up doing is not only draining them but you you're never satisfied and you're almost always a little too reliant on them in your life in order to be happy And this is a very uh, codependent, very unhealthy place to be. And I don't want to downplay the concept that sometimes we do need someone to lean on and to have there with us and to share a life with. And, you know, when we're down there, it's great to have them around. But who are you without her? You need to be in a good place in yourself before you get into a relationship 
and I know it's a little too late, you're in a relationship, but it's time to look at this in yourself. Uh, some of the things that you mentioned do have a lot to do with uh, self-nurturing and self-compassion and self-worth and self-esteem. And it's important to look at those things. And you probably are looking at those things, which is awesome. That's fantastic. But I do have a small concern when it comes to having somebody in your life and basing any happiness and comfort solely because they are there. Doesn't mean you can't. It just means who are you without them? And my main concern regarding that is that when we are reliant on someone else for our happiness, for our comfort, for our peace and joy and all of that, and we don't already feel those things inside of us, we will tend to drain those things out of them. This is what I want you to be careful of. So you, if you find yourself draining her of those things, that's something to look at inside you. I don't know if you are or not, but since you mentioned it in your message, I wanted to mention that as well. Over at Love and Abuse, I, I compared it to a, a battery and a flashlight. If she is a battery and you are the flashlight and when she's around, it powers you up, it energizes you, it makes you happy, but when she's not around, you have no power and you feel dark and miserable, then what's going to happen is that that battery, her, is eventually going to drain and this is why it's important to continue doing the work, continue working on yourself. Listen to my episodes on self-worth, self-esteem, and valuing yourself, and self-nurturing, and self-compassion, so that you become the healthiest, most improved version of you that you can bring into the relationship, because you should both bring in the best version of yourself into the relationship. If you've been listening a while, you've probably heard me say that over and over again, and now that you're in the relationship, it's time to refocus back on yourself because now you have something. You have something there. It's probably going to stay there. And as long as you're working on yourselves, you become, and this is going to sound wrong, more attractive to each other. And I, I say that it sounds wrong because it's not a physical attraction necessarily. It's just the idea that when you're with somebody who is improving themselves, you typically want to be with them more. And that often comes about because they're not draining you of anything. I'm simplifying this a little bit, but I think you understand what I mean with that concept of the battery and the flashlight. So that was the first thing that, that stuck out to me. The second thing, of course, the anxiety and the depression and you're working through all this stuff. You know, my last segment, I talked a lot about that and I hope that will help you and I hope you can get something from it. And let me ask you a question that, of course, I won't hear the answer, but ask yourself, when did this start? I always love the when question. When did it start? Did it start when you were a kid? Did it start later on? Did it start before? When you know when it started, I ask the second question, what was life like before then? And if you can't answer that question because you don't remember, answer the question, what do you think life was like before then? And of course, the third question has to do with what caused it to start. These are questions to reflect on, to journal about, to think about, to meditate on, because when you know when it started, typically if you can find some resolution around when it started or coming to some peace about who was involved when it started, if it wasn't just you, it might have been probably other people as well, then 
what ends up happening is that you start to resolve things in yourself way back in time. And when you resolve something way back in time, it usually resolves itself going forward in time up till now, if that makes sense. Those who have studied NLP understand this to be timeline work. When you go back in time and remember when it happened, and then remember what happened before that and who you were and how you felt before that, and then come to some resolution about what caused everything to happen, it can cause a lot of healing to occur. And then your life can be better. Now, again, simplifying stuff, there's a lot of uh, steps in there, but those are the three questions that I would like you to reflect upon and meditate on. And, referring to my last segment, who was involved that you may have feelings toward or about that you may need to address inside you so that you can resolve those feelings. Because if you have feelings floating around there or emotions floating around in there that haven't been admitted, expressed, and they've only been repressed or you just haven't thought about it, you stuffed them away because you don't want to feel those things anymore, then it might be time to address those things. And if it's really traumatic, if there's abuse involved or anything like that, of course, be careful, get a professional, talk to a therapist if you aren't able to process this stuff. And I don't know what you're able to process. I don't know what you've gone through. But certainly just you know, be careful if there's a lot of traumatic stuff that comes up for you. If it's not as traumatic, if you think you can handle it, then that's something that you can certainly work with. You know, when I think about my past and my stepfather and the fear that I went through, there was a lot of uh, stuff that I had to resolve with him. And one of my processes, and this is a very common process in therapy actually, is talking to your inner child. That means you're talking to yourself at the age when it was happening. You go back in time as your adult self, and that inner child, that little version of you, needs to hear what you have to say and needs to know that everything's going to be okay. Maybe he needs a hug. Maybe he needs just words. Maybe he just needs your presence near him. Whatever that inner child is experiencing is probably something he needs comfort with. So that's something that you can work with as well. I have episodes on that too. You can look at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. So there are some tips that you can work with. And you said something else that I was going to comment on. Uh, You said, I'm terrified that I'm an emotional abuser and I don't even know it. I find that I get irritated very easily when my partner and I get into disagreements. I feel myself getting so dark and blinded by what feels like anger and frustration. This is what I wanted to comment on. So when you get angry and frustrated, here's an exercise I want you to do. In the midst of that anger and frustration, and this may be hard to do, but this is something you have to work on, maybe meditate on, in the middle of all that anger and frustration, ask yourself, if she didn't exist right now, who would I want to take that anger and frustration out on? If she didn't exist right now and I needed to vent all this anger and frustration, who would I want to take it out on? Anyone from your past, anyone from your present, she doesn't exist, who would you take it out on instead? Or who would you want to that maybe you never did? Maybe something like that. I want you to reflect on that as well. 
when you get angry or frustrated, that doesn't mean you're an emotionally abusive person. It may mean you are being emotionally abusive. It may mean that you are doing behaviors that are, are considered hurtful and harmful and damaging. So you have to be really careful about that. Uh, listen to my show, Love and Abuse, and you'll learn those behaviors. You'll start to understand if those behaviors are emotionally abusive. But I don't want you to jumble everything into a bucket and say, okay, I must be emotionally abusive. I don't want you to do that. I want you to look at very specific behavior. This is when you look at something that you're doing, something specific, and ask yourself, is this supportive of my partner? Is this supportive of our happiness? You'll probably find that it's not. But I want you to be aware of the specific behavior that you're doing because if you can look at your specific behavior and say, you know, I yelled at her and I was really angry and I said some mean things, then recall that behavior in your head and say, okay, I yelled at her. Why did I yell at her? And this is where I want you to get into what I call stupid questions that lead to healing. I've got an article on that called that very title, Stupid Questions That Lead to Healing. Uh, you can either look it up in Google or you can find it at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. But you'll find um, that article has a lot of very pointed, very reflective questions that you can ask yourself when you know of a specific behavior that you want to figure out, that you want to process and heal and maybe even release whatever's under there. For example, you might uh, have said something that was mean. Ask yourself, well, why did I say that? What was my purpose in that? Did I want her to hurt? Those are somewhat normal questions, but then you get into what I call the stupid questions, which is something like, how is her saying that I'm an idiot a problem? Let's just say that she said you're an idiot and that you got angry by that. How is her calling you an idiot a problem? It feels like a stupid question, but there's a reason I ask that. So check out that article, Stupid Questions That Lead to Healing. That's going to be very helpful. And I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go right to your final comment which or question, which is... Uh, if you can give me any insight to let me know if I'm the emotional abuser and how to identify and stop the behavior, I am so in my own head and I'm having trouble identifying these things and I just want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to get better and make this relationship healthy. All right, so the comment I have on that, I already talked about emotional abuse and narrowing it down to the specific behavior and then asking yourself questions regarding that specific behavior. My personal opinion based on your message to me is that you're doing a lot already and continue doing what you feel works and also gauge yourself how you feel after doing certain things. I think since you're meditating already that it's a good time to bring in questions and reflect on past events in your life because your emotional response to current events is actually an emotional response to past events because it had to start somewhere. You didn't learn how to be angry with your partner. You learned that earlier. When did you learn that? What was going on? How did it start? You didn't learn how to yell or scream at your partner in the relationship. You learned how to yell and scream way in the past or maybe not so long ago, but when did that start? How did it start? What was going on? That's the kind of stuff that you should bring into your meditations or just your reflection or your journaling so that you understand yourself as best as possible. And that is my last tip for you, is that it's all about you and not the relationship. I don't want you to work on the relationship. That sounds awful. 
<laughs> let me finish. I don't want you to work on the relationship. I want you to work on you. If you focus on working on the relationship and trying to make her happy and trying to make sure that you're doing all the right things to keep the relationship, then it takes away your attention on what you really need to focus on, which is yourself. Because as you improve you, you improve the relationship. That might mean you take time away from the relationship. That doesn't mean I'm telling you to separate. That doesn't mean I'm telling you to leave for a week. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that when you have opportunities to be on your own, take that time and tell her, I'm going to take some time for me to work on me, to improve me. And you're doing that to improve yourself, which in turn improves the relationship. If you work on yourself, it improves the relationship. There are too many messages that I get that ask, how do I save my relationship? You save your relationship by working on yourself and being the best version of yourself. Because if you got into a relationship with you, how would you want to be treated? That could be a good way to look at it, but I also want you to look at it this way. In emotionally abusive relationships, the emotional abuser that believes they're going to lose the relationship spends a lot of time trying to convince their partner that they're getting better. They're trying to say, look, I'm working on myself. Can't you see that I'm doing all this stuff? Take a look. And when you look at this, aren't you impressed? Can't you tell that I'm doing everything I can? I mean, they may not say it with that inflection. They may actually be very sweet about it. You know, I'm, I'm working on this stuff because I want us. I want us to be together. So I'm working on all this stuff. I just want to show you and I want to prove to you that I'll do everything it takes. You have to be careful with this because the partner of an emotionally abusive person has heard it all before. In one way, shape, or form, they've heard this before. If the emotionally abusive person said, I'm so sorry, it'll never happen again, and then it happens again, then the partner of an emotionally abusive person starts to not believe it anymore. It's just a fantasy. It's a story. This is why it's so important that when you're working on yourself, you focus on yourself. You don't focus on the other person to try to convince them that you are working on yourself because that defeats the purpose. That almost sounds manipulative. So I'm not sure if you're doing that. I don't know if you're doing that. I don't know your situation at all. But that's my last tip for you because when somebody loves you and they want to be with you, if they see you working on yourself, they're going to notice it. I would rather have you be noticed than have you convince anyone that you're doing something to better yourself. And it's much better to be noticed. But it has to be real. You have to be genuine about it. You really have to be working on yourself and want to work on yourself, not because of her, but because of you. Because it doesn't matter who it is. If she's in your life or somebody else is in your life, the way you show up is who you are. And if this relationship doesn't last and somebody else comes in your life, the way you show up is who you are again. If you haven't worked on that, then you may get the same results. I hope this is helpful for you. Thank you so much for writing, and, and I hope that the first segment helped a lot as well. I have a ton of resources over at Love and Abuse and also theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Use the search bar, look for what you're working on, and I can almost guarantee I've come up with some sort of resource or content that will help you out. Thanks so much for writing, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I have a few people to thank here. I've got James and Jason and Kathleen, Lisa, Crystal, Monica, Victoria, Tracy, Christy, and Chris. These are all the patrons of the week, the financial backers of the show. And I am so grateful for your support. I thank the patrons of the week every week. There's different names every week. And uh, I want to give it a little bit of extra attention to Chris, who wrote to me, and I recognized his name, so I looked him up. And he said, uh, mate, I want to thank you. Your podcast has changed my life. Yours is the only one of hundreds that I've tried that I can relate to. I get everything you say, and it provides me with clear steps to grow and, most importantly, reduce stress, anxiety, and depression. Very appropriate for this episode. Thank you, Chris. He said, and I'm not recommending this to anyone, he said, I have stopped taking all medications since listening to your show. Thank you. I also want to put something to you. If you are interested in having a larger presence in Australia, I would love to help you in any way I could. I am sharing your podcast with everyone I know. I guess that's a good start. Keep up the good work, mate. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I am so glad to hear that you are in a better place. I don't think my podcast was the only reason for that. (laughs) It sounds like you've been working on yourself a while. And it sounds like you've done all the work. So thank you so much for your comment and for your patronage and for your support of the show. And it's great to connect with you all the way in Australia. Australia, actually, I have a lot of listeners over there. And if you're in Australia, hello. Good to connect with you. I am so grateful that you listen. And um, I don't know if I'll ever be over there. uh, But if I am, I will look every single one of you up. (laughs) Thank you again, Chris. I appreciate you, and uh, if you want to make the show larger in Australia, just, yeah, like, you're doing exactly what I would ask you to do. Just share it with others that might benefit. That's all I ask. You know, don't force it down anyone's throat, because when you do that, they'll never listen. (laughs) Just say, you can't say, hey, my life is so great, and when they ask, wow, what makes it so great? What are you doing? You can say, well, I I listen to the podcast, The Overwhelmed Brain, and then they'll think, hmm, maybe I should listen to that, too. I think that's a great way to spread the show and not force it down anyone's throat. So thank you, patrons. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate your support. I'm also going to read you a couple messages. And one of these, I swear, it sounds like I paid them to write this review. (laughs) I did not pay them. But I'm going to read it anyway because, uh, one, it makes me feel good getting stuff like this. And two, I might have a comment or two on it. This person wrote, I had no idea that I would be able to grow this much in my lifetime. What a very nice surprise my life is turning out to be. Since listening to your podcast, I found the courage to apply for a position slash promotion I never would have even considered before. It seems that with empowerment comes courage. My interview is Monday, tomorrow. Uh, When was that? That was probably last week. How did it go? I want to know. I hope you write back. And uh, she goes on to say, On Friday, I became terrified, thinking, what what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? So Friday night, I purchased the Safe Empowerment System. That's my anxiety program. Uh, After listening to the introduction, I am convinced that you are somewhat a genius when it comes to helping people to build their emotional house. The introduction alone was enough to marinate in most of Saturday. I need to take my time to make sure I fully understand. Um, Boy, I'm, I'm... there's a lot here, so I'm going to skip down to a little bit. Uh, she said, a couple of weeks ago, I met a very nice man. I told him about your podcast. He is young enough to be my grandson, but it was meant for our paths to cross for no other reason for than for me to share the Overwhelmed Brain podcast with him. I heard from him a couple times since, and I was elated to hear that he loves your podcast just as much as I do. 
I've also spread the word to some of my coworkers. Thank you for being such a blessing to my life. Thank you. That is just uh, heartwarming, and I'm very humbled by this. I almost want to say the check's in the mail <laughs> for writing all this, but I, I read this for two reasons. One, because I want to inspire people listening to this show. I want to inspire people that there is a way through and out of a lot of the, the crap that comes up, a lot of the emotional stuff that comes up. I think for the longest time, I didn't know how to deal with my own stuff. It's like, okay, something bad happens, or somebody yells at me, or somebody hurts me in some way. Uh, I guess I'll just swallow that and move on. That was my life. That's what I did. And it took me until my 30s and 40s to realize that, oh, there's actually a process or an exercise or just reflection on things and a way to do things that help lighten the load of this negative emotional burden that I'm carrying around. And I don't have to feel like something is eating away at me from the inside out. That was a revelation to me. I felt lighter and lighter every time I worked on myself that I knew I just had to give this information away, put it out there, make sure that everyone that wanted to hear it would hear it and hopefully make their life better. So I read things like this to show you that it's not just me <laughs> that's improving and feeling better and getting rid of all of my emotional triggers. It's not just me. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And so I'm so glad that you wrote this. Thank you for your message. I am grateful and humble. I appreciate you. And I'm going to read you one more. Oh, my God. How many more do I have here? Uh, <laughs> so many people write and review, and I am so grateful. And I cannot read them all in the air, but I do read them all. So if you ever review the show and it's on some platform that I never talk about because these are like Apple Podcasts and there's Spotify and there's other places, if you write a review, I'll, I will eventually see it. So don't think that your review has gone into some void somewhere. I will eventually see it. I just won't read it on the air because I get a lot of them and I'm very grateful for all of them. So thank you for that. And this person wrote, Hey, Paul, I just want to say thank you for your podcast. I feel like I found it at just the right time. With everything happening in 2020, I have needed to reach out more often for help than I ever have in my adult life, which is no easy feat. I grew up in a family that believed mental health isn't something you talk about. Yikes, same here. I get that, and I think a lot of people listening get that. I work in healthcare in Canada, and this year has been hard, to say the least. I've never had anxiety issues until this year. It's been crippling at times. I have a loving, supportive husband and other family members, but sometimes it feels like I need something more when things get dark. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Please keep doing what you're doing. Please keep being that bright, shiny light in the darkness. It is more than appreciated. I'm even trying to get my stubborn father to listen to you as well. He just has to figure out what podcasts are. <laughs> just getting him to agree to listen is a feat in and of itself. So fingers are crossed for my dad. Thank you for everything. Thank you for those words. Thank you again for anyone that writes in to review the show and says all these nice things. And even people that have criticisms, I'm grateful for because it helps me reflect and figure out if they're just being awful, which I'm sure happens. So I appreciate you. And oh, if you want your dad to listen, I suggest just having it in the background one day. Maybe you're driving, maybe you're in your house and just let it play. If you want to play it for someone and they hear it in the background and they start listening, they're either going to like it or not, and they're going to ask you, what is this, if they like it? 
And if that's the case, you can say, oh, it's, you know, whatever, this podcast. And they may want to hear it again. And I think that's the best way to provide any type of self-help to someone else. So if you are with someone that you know could benefit from something you're listening to or you're watching, it's always best to be as passive as possible and try to have them introduce it to themselves. It's a lot more difficult to introduce something to someone and say, hey, you got to hear this because it's going to change your life or it's going to help you with that thing you're working on because people have a process. They need to go through their own process and some people aren't open to things like that. They may think that uh, you're being intrusive or they have it handled. They're going to take care of it their own way. But if it's in the background and they have an opportunity and they listen and it works out that way, then that might be a better way to do it. It sounds a little manipulative. <laughs> it does sound a little bad. But hey, if you're going to listen to it anyway and they're in the same room, that's not manipulative. And I'm not talking about just me. I'm not talking about my podcast. It could be anything. Anything that you want to introduce anyone to. It's like if somebody hands you a book and says, you need to read this book. It's awesome. Are you going to read it? Are you going to read it right away? I mean, you might, but a lot of people wouldn't. You'd be like, oh, geez, I got so much to do. I don't want to read this book. Oh, it's about something I'm working on, but you know, I've got these other resources. I don't really want to read this book by this person I don't know. So that's why I'm thinking it's better to have a book on the coffee table that they pick up and they look at and they think, hmm, maybe I should take a look at this. Or if they don't, it's their prerogative. It's their choice. But if they do it on their own, that's the definition of self-empowerment. They are doing something on their own. They are initiating their own process. They are taking action themselves for themselves. So thank you so much for writing. I'm going to read two more. These are all my final words. I'm going to make some comments on a couple of things here, these reviews. This person wrote, I have listened to The Overwhelmed Brain religiously every week since 2016. It is my, wow, it is my therapy. Everything Paul says has relevance. He has helped me through so much from huge decisions to just daily reminders of how to be better. His voice and personality feels like I know him and he's refreshing, humble, honest, and insightful and helpful. I am beyond grateful. He's a stable friend to me despite me not knowing him. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for writing that, and I wanted to give you this little spot on the air because I am just honored by your words. And last one, I promise. Hi, Paul. I want to say thanks. I listen all the time, but an episode where you said you left your newish job because it wasn't working out really helped support me to leave a job that I had not been happy in for four years. I put in my notice last Thursday, and I don't feel afraid now that I've done it regarding finances because I trust in my abilities to find work that is less stressful for me. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your show and how you come across. Best wishes from England. Thank you so much for your words. Again, I am grateful. And uh, again, I am reading this for two reasons. It makes me feel good. I want you to know that other people are taking steps. They're taking action. They're doing things in their life that may be scary. There may be risks involved. I mean, leaving a job, especially maybe when you don't have one lined up or starting to find another job, knowing that you're stable already. This is what she's doing. She's taking a risk, but she feels confident. She's doing it for herself. You know, she's probably talking about my story when I was broke and we were homeless and I finally got a job. And three weeks into the job, I felt stifled. I felt like a prisoner and I hated it. I didn't want to work there anymore. And instead of just choosing to stay stuck, knowing that we needed the money, 
I decided with, uh, at the time, my wife's support to quit the job. And that meant going back to the soup kitchen the next day because I did not want to continue compromising myself. That's exactly why I did it. I felt compromised every day. And if I have to go to work and feel unhappy and almost feel like a prisoner, what's the point? What am I doing this for? I don't want to live every day like this. What if I die tomorrow? It might be a morbid thought, but it's what I thought. And I, I couldn't stand it. I was willing to stay. You know, if my wife said, no, we need the money, you have to stay, I was going to do it. But she said, no, I, I support anything that you decide. I quit that day. And it was the best decision I ever made. Doesn't mean it's a great decision for everyone. It doesn't mean it doesn't have risk. But I place my character and my integrity above everything. And since that day, that has been one of my top values. Is that me, at the deepest level, I don't want to compromise. And so I make decisions based on that. And sometimes it is risky. And sometimes it does cost me money. And sometimes it costs me uh, maybe friendships. And sometimes it costs me more. But... At least I can look in the mirror and feel good about myself every day. That doesn't mean if you're going to a job you hate that you shouldn't feel good about yourself. There's, there's a lot of reasons. I had to do that for many years. But I'm just saying there was a point in my life that I decided to make me a priority. And not everyone has that option. I know it. Not everyone has the freedom to make decisions like that without affecting a lot of other people. There's kids and families and other obligations. Not everybody can do that. But I am saying don't drill yourself into a hole so deep that you're miserable every day because it's just not worth it. It's not worth being miserable every day, especially if you can make a change, even though the change may be risky. Interpret that as you will. Be careful. <laughs> you know, don't do anything crazy. But at the same time, you might have to. You might have to. But talk it out with people you care about, that you love, that you trust, so that you can get a different perspective. Because sometimes you just need another perspective so thank you again thank you everyone for writing these reviews thank you for tuning in and listening all the way to the end even though it was a lot about my show and how people appreciate it i want you to benefit from this i want you to hear other people's stories and know that it is possible sometimes you just need to know that it is possible so with that always keep an open mind this is what helps you step into your power and when you step into your power, you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.